welcome back to the Christmas in Qatar podcast. It's once again your your host, Jack Hartley. And this is going to be our final episode together. Uh, It's been a a great journey taking you through each of these teams, each of these wonderful, uh, challenging groups, and just analyzing uh, teams that might not always get the media attention they deserve. And really, I hope, preparing you for this wonderful event coming up, uh, the first Arab World Cup. I'm excited, as I'm sure you are as well. So, let's uh, dive right right back in, as we always do. Uh, Group G is on the docket today, the, the final group of this World Cup. Drawn together in this case, of course, will be uh, Portugal, Uruguay, uh, South Korea, and Ghana. Uh, a good mix of, of confederations here, one from Europe and South America and Asia and Africa. Very uh, competitive, this group looks, and has, it has the ability to, to produce that drama that, that we're looking for from a tournament like this. So let's, uh, let's start with, in my mind, who's going to be the, the group favorites. And I think that you're going to have to favor uh, Uruguay. Uruguay is uh, a nation that is being overlooked in this group, in my opinion, a lot. Um, and this might go down as one of my more controversial or, or even eventually incorrect takes of of this World Cup, but uh, I just don't think that Portugal, as I'll explain later, have the ability to play with, with Uruguay, and I think that's why they're going to be able to get those six, seven points that were, that's probably going to be required to win this group. They have everything you're looking for in a team and everything that, that you want to see out of, out of a World Cup contender. So let's, let's take a look at Uruguay because I think that they're quite underrated. Uh, in, in, in that you can probably see, uh, Sebastian Sosa, maybe, uh, Fernando Muslera might also, also contend for that, that goalkeeping slot. And Uruguay, the great thing about them is that they have a diverse background of players all over the world. You've got players in Portugal, you've got players in, in Brazil, you've got players um, in other parts of Europe, England, France. Lots of options for, for Uruguay to, to pick from. And very similar options, I would say, in Keeper. It doesn't really matter what they go with, because they're going to have that solid shot-stopping option that you're looking for. Uh, in their defense, you've got a uh, very, very... Solid player, in my mind, one of the most underrated defenders in the entire world, uh, Jose Jimenez for, for Atletico Madrid. Uh, Atletico, of course, known for their defensive prowess, and I think a lot of the credit usually goes to their, their managerial team, uh, Diego Simeone, who certainly deserves a lot of the credit, is, is a very quality manager. But at some point, the players have to get their due, and I think a player that doesn't get enough is, is Jose Jimenez, who has been a stalwart on this Atletico side for for many years as they've succeeded in tournament football. Uh, Tournament football, of course, what we're looking at in this case as well. And I think that these players are going to be able to provide everything you're looking for. You've got a player like uh, Napoli's Matias Oliveira. Napoli having a great season, much like Atletico. You've got Roma's uh, Matias Vigna, Sebastian Kotz. 
And then these players are coming from, you know, Italy, Spain, Portugal, the, the best leagues in the world. And they're players that, who have shown with their clubs, they have that ability in the tournament football side. They have the ability to win. And then off the bench, which is maybe where Uruguay is going to be a bit of a struggling team. Because you've got more of those MLS, Liga Mekis options with players like uh, Martin Caceres, Sebastian Caceres, uh, Damian Suarez. It's it's not quite what you're looking for out of a, a quality team's bench, but that's fine. And then you, you move into the midfield and, and their attacking options, and you see this is where it re- really starts getting quite good for, for Uruguay. You've got uh, Darwin Nunez, uh, one of the premier strikers in the world, someone who's going to take his chances as he's shown for Liverpool, and someone who, in my mind, is probably the favorite to win Golden Boot at this tournament if Uruguay can progress as far as I think they will. And then Nunez is going to be paired with, of course, the ever-popular Luis Suarez, probably in his last World Cup, but I think that's going to be extra motivation for him. I think he's going to perform to a very high level. And they're going to be sort of financed by this this midfield of Federico Valverde, who remains a starter on, on Real Madrid, probably the best credit club in the entire world right now. And then you start looking around, you've got like Edinson Cavani, a very solid option. Uh, we'll see if he can work into maybe a front three, if that's how they decide to play. But if, even if he doesn't, uh, Cavani is probably that super sub option you're looking for, for a, for a team that's as quality as Uruguay is. And then you've got, you know, other options, uh, Giorgiane de Escreta, Lucas Torreira, uh, very, the players that you want to see in your midfield to, when you've got the kind of quality finishing that you're, you're just ultimately going to have when you have players like Suarez and Nunez and Cavani. And then you've got uh, Rodrigo Bentancor, who's going to be uh, a real struggling option. You know, Spurs, terrible season for Spurs. Everyone thought that they were going to be challenging for this Premier League title this year. Instead, they're they're forced to come back against teams like, like Bournemouth. They're losing games to, of course, the vastly superior Manchester United. And I think Bentoncourt has been a real thorn in Spurs' own side because he's just such a poor, poor player. It doesn't work out for it. This just doesn't work out well for them. So that's Uruguay, uh, who, minus Rodrigo Bentoncourt, are a team that absolutely no tournament football. And I think that's why they're going to succeed so much in this opening group stage as well, as they mesh together before. The, the side is in great form. They had a good qualifying uh, tournament, and then you start to look at their challengers in the group. You've got Portugal, who, of course, uh, have succeeded in the past at some tournaments, maybe not winning, but sometimes winning for sure. They, of course, won a Euro, but it's much like the some teams I've talked about in the past episodes. You've got you know your Belgiums, your uh, Croatias. They're they're just aging out of their golden generations. You've got uh, probably Rui Patricio, probably still going to start in net, uh, now playing for Roma. Roma, a good side. Rui Patricio, still a good goalkeeper. Um, that's a good thing about keepers, isn't it? They just have that longevity. 
it may not Patricio could hold on well beyond this World Cup just as you know you see players like like Gigi Buffon who's not going to be at this World Cup but is holding on to a high level of play even into his 40s and then in front of them you've got uh, a solid option of players from from Manchester City you've got uh, Ruben Diaz and Xao Cancelo who are going to be very solid at the back and this is it's not Portugal's issue at the back it really isn't Portugal are going to be a very tough team to break down but again like every team in all football you are going to give up one to three chances minimum a game and I think Uruguay can take them which is why Portugal's back line may not end up mattering right so even if you've got two world-class defenders in Diaz and Cancelo and we can even throw in uh, Manchester United's Diogo Dello you know United having a great season Dello scoring very recently a, a major goal against against Sheriff Tiraspol in, in the Europa League and then you you start looking around maybe not a ton of depth but it, as I've said in the past it's not a huge issue you have players like like Nicolas Pepe uh, now now playing for Porto his his boyhood club and Pepe is a, a real leader has been for a long time but maybe not of the same pace that he once had and I think pace is a, a major point point of defending especially against some of the the teams you'll be playing in this World Cup that explosiveness that you need to defend against a player like Darwin Nunez so Pepe may not end up starting in this team but he remains a very solid player and then you move into the midfield and, and attack and this is where I think you see start to see some of the conundrums for Portugal because and I not to lean too heavily into Manchester United here, because they get so much attention as it is, but and they deserve it. Uh, at club level, Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo just have lost their ability to coexist. When Ronaldo doesn't play, Fernandes plays much, much better. Bruno becomes a, a spectacular player when he's he's serving uh, you know players like Marcus Rashford or, or Jaden Sancho and then Ronaldo comes in and they're just on different wavelengths so does Portugal want to play them together at the World Cup I don't know I mean you have to figure Ronaldo being of course the greatest player of all time is going to be starting matches but can you take out Bruno Fernandes maybe your most valuable player in the process just to respect a legacy I'm not sure. I, Portugal is going to have some, some tough decisions to make because ultimately Ronaldo might be even better served as a sub at this World Cup. And unfortunately, you start looking at some of the other attacking options around them. You've got players like City's Bernardo Silva who is beginning to enter some sort of fall in his play. And you're seeing it at the national team level. Portugal, of course, had to go through the knockout stage of of UEFA qualifying because their simple lack of ability to score goals. So you've got Bernardo Silva, players like João Felix, who plays at, at Atletico. He's a an attacker and a very defensive-minded side. So he'll be comfortable in Portugal, but can they score the amount of goals necessary? You've got players like Ruben Neves for Wolves or Danilo Pereira for, for PSG. Renato Sanchez once had so much potential, likely not going to be starting at this World Cup. Portugal are going to have a real tough time putting the ball in the net. 
And that's why I don't think that they're going to be able to win this group. That's why I don't think they're going to be able to, you know, get all three points off, off Uruguay. Now, is there still quality here? Absolutely. Do I still think that they're heavy favorites to at least advance out of the group? For sure. I just think that they might be a second place team in this group because of the lack of attacking ability in the side that you need more in the group stage. Now, if they get to the knockouts, could they go far? Sure. Because at a certain point, defense switches to become the priority because you can take it into penalties and win that way. But in the group stage, draws are not good enough. You need all three. And Portugal might struggle to find that. So let's uh, continue on in this this ad-free episode of, of Christmas in Qatar and move into the third place side. But of course, I, I should mention before that a couple of star men, as I, as I always take time to mention, for both uh, Uruguay and Portugal. And for, for Uruguay, I think Juan El Peor Producto del Mundo is the player that you want to be watching. El Peor Producto del Mundo is a, a player who really has that attacking ability that you, that a team like Uruguay can, can harness. Someone who might just replace a terrible player like a Rodrigo Bentancur in the in the midfield. You've got a player like El Peor Portuto del Mundo, and he's going to come in and just ignite this attack. And for Portugal, uh, you've got a, a very interesting player in a João Carne de Viado. Carne de Viado is uh, that classic. Portuguese style attacker, uh, someone who can work mainly off the left side, which is something that Portugal is lacking, because Carne de Viado is someone, you know, a solid left-footed player. He hits a volley like nobody else, and I can just see one flying in in a big moment for Portugal, and that's sort of that that difference maker that Portugal is looking for, because Carne de Viado is just an excellent player. Anyways, moving on to the likely third place side in this group is uh, South Korea. South Korea never to be underestimated, uh, even if I'm guilty of that right now. I think that, that South Korea is just going to be a, a great team to watch at this World Cup. Someone who knows their role, knows their role, knows exactly what they're looking to do. They're looking to spoil a match. They're looking to earn a, a point off either Portugal or, Uru, uh, or Uruguay, and then they go ahead and put everything at that, that match against Ghana, try and see if four points can get you through. And South Korea have proven to do this before. They, of course, got out of the group stage at the last World Cup after uh, just destroying Germany in a, a shocking defeat, perhaps the most surprising result of the, the entire tournament. And they're a well-drilled, well-oiled machine, really, when you look at them from the back. Hyunwoo Jo, great player. Jo is a, someone you want to look at and and see their ability to spray the ball all over the pitch. Uh, because South Korea, of course, not the largest team, never have been. So we're not going to be able to win those aerial balls, so it's extra important to find those attackers open in space rather than just shooting the ball upfield, because you're just not going to win those balls. Uh, across the back, you've got uh, Kim, Kim, Jong, and Kim. Uh, of course, Min Jae Kim, Taiwan Kim, 
Moon Hwan Kim and Sung Yeon Jong, uh, players who are increasingly valuable. Moon Hwan Kim, of course, playing for Seattle Sounders in, in MLS and doing very well there. And Min Jae Kim, uh, playing for the Scudetto favorites in Napoli. I, I keep talking about Napoli. Their players are increasing in value, making, uh, making themselves noticed for their national team. It, it's something to behold, for sure. And then you move into the midfield and the attack. And where else can you start? But that's a Hyung Min Son. Uh, after having a bit of a fluky year last year, Hung Min Son has really come back down to earth, you know. He had uh, one game against a, a poor opposition in which the ball was flying into the net, but other than that, really struggling, and I think he's really showing the kind of player that he is because he's surrounded by a terrible team, and he's a, just a terrible player. Spurs, everyone thought they were, they were going to, uh, you know, potentially win the league this year. and Here they are, ending up third place, looking up at their rivals in City and Arsenal. Looking back quickly, uh, being caught by other teams. Chelsea falling back, but United, Newcastle, absolutely on the march. Likely, in my opinion, going to catch Spurs because they're just better team. And then beyond Sun, you've got uh, pacey players for sure. Players like uh, He Chan Wang, uh, Kang In Lee, Wu Jiu Huang. Players that... Uh, are going to be able to provide those counter-attacking threats that that you're looking for for a side like South Korea because they will likely concede to a team like Uruguay. They're not quite uh, dominant enough in possession or, or skilled to hold them off the score sheet. So you're going to need to score one, at least one yourself. And I think that will likely come off the counter-attack because of just a, a greater amount of pace for the side. And I think Canning in Lee is, is a great option for that. Uh, Ui Huang falling back perhaps a little bit. And, and off the bench, you can just keep introducing that pace. Because you look around, players like Min Kui Song or In Byom Huang, Jai Sang Lee. Very, very interesting players. But I think the most, most interesting player for South Korea is uh, Kim Segye Choi Gyu Jipom. Sergei Trojko Jepom is a, a player you want to look to in the, in the big moments because he's just going to be able to come through with that, that classic Sergei Trojko Jepom moment that you're looking for for, the, for a team like South Korea. And that's really what South Korea is going to be looking for in this World Cup. A moment where they are just better than everyone expected. A moment where everything goes right, the ball ends at the back of the net, they're celebrating, they're through, they make it to the knockout stages, that's a win for not only the team, but for the entire country looking on. So South Korea, certainly have hope, lots of hope, lots of ability in there, and I unfortunately have to say that that is unlike the last team in this group, Ghana, of course the, the fourth team I'm going to talk about today. And and Ghana, it, it it's frustrating me, because you've got a team like Ghana and they performed so brilliantly, especially at home in in Afghan qualifying. 
massive win against Nigeria. Uh, they beat their biggest rivals, showed up in the biggest matches, were so solid defensively. But when you take a look deeper at this Black Stars roster, is there anything there that you're seeing that you could legitimately predict them to even get a point in the group stage? I don't think so. Where's the quality coming from? At the at the back, you've got a keeper like Richard Ofori, who is struggling to even stay in, the, in an MLS side in, in Inter-Miami. And you're expecting him to provide what you're looking for? you got a player like uh, Sheriff Tiraspol's uh, Razek Apolor. Is there anything in there? Is is this what you want to see for your for your national team, the team of the World Cup, players who aren't experienced in any sort of major match at all? Ghana's just not sending players where they need to be to properly develop into big game players. Right? With the perhaps the one exception of a player like uh, Mohamed Salisu, plays for Southampton, gets regular minutes, one of the better players on South, on Southampton, uh, a very positive, bright player in in that side that often struggles in Premier League. But they they always stay up. And that's because of, of talents like Salisu who can will this team forward. And talents on, on players like or teams like Brighton. You've got uh, Tariq Lamptey, uh British British trained, not necessarily uh Ghanaian, but he's playing for the Ghanaian national team. I don't I don't mean to offend any Ghanaian listeners by saying that. He's just been trained differently, Tariq Lamptey. And he's performing well for Brighton. Everything you want to see. Brighton, though, and Southampton. And Leicester, where Daniel Amarty plays, the only other sort of big-name player for Ghana. These aren't clubs that are playing massive, massive matches. It's just not. So are they going to be prepared for World Cup football? Have they ever really played, like, group stage massive matches? I suppose in qualifying, but I don't think that they're this might be a team better built for a knockout tournament. And I don't think they're gonna be able to get past the group stage. And then in the attack. Players like Arsenal's Thomas Party. Uh, quality player, but it's it's not when you th- what you think of when you think of an Arsenal player. He's not, you know, Gabriel Jesus, he's not Kayosaka. He's more of that conservative, uh, track back, understand your role, give what you need, score a couple goals here and there, but he's not someone Arsenal relies on, so I don't think it's fair for Ghana to really be relying on him as much as they're going to need to in this, in this tournament. And the only player who could possibly turn that around, the only player who Ghana can actually rely on, is is a player like... Uh, Diallo, a massive picture of me. Uh, a massive picture of me is uh, a player who gives you everything you're looking for in this in this uh, group. Because Ghana are going to be lacking quality everywhere. And a massive picture of me is totally versatile. He can play anywhere because he's just such a, a massive player. Sorry for the play on words. Um, he's... If you need to defend, put him in, play him at center back. If you need a goal, send him up there. Make him your number nine. Try and get him to, to score that key goal for you. Uh, and if he can get proper service, a massive picture of me is going to be 
quite the player, quite uh, a force to behold. So that's Group G. As I said uh, from the start, I'm going to make a surprising prediction. Uruguay is going to advance from this group. Portugal, I think, are going to struggle, but remain in second place. South Korea, maybe a, a close third. Maybe it's it's somewhere like goal difference that they lose out to on, with Portugal. And then Ghana maybe the worst side of this World Cup. Honestly. I don't I don't see a worse team in this World Cup than Ghana, despite some of their higher level options for, for club. Ghana are gonna come forth in this group almost assuredly. So I just want to move into a second segment. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry if this is going longer than, than I intended, but I think it it's just good for me to remind our listeners of, of some of the better uh, players that I've mentioned throughout the the mini-series we've done here. So I'm going to give you uh, one player for each team that, that I've picked out in the, in the past episodes to be that, that linchpin, that star man. So I'm just going to list them real quickly. Do uh, your own research. Try and find what you can find about these players because they're not necessarily as heralded as they could be but they are excellent excellent players so uh starting back for the netherlands you've got a player like uh tim rekenningen t-shirts very solid player rekenningen t-shirt nothing else much else to say about him uh then for senegal you've got a player like uh, jacques calcachos de Vieli for qatar uh, Ali Kaziajun. Uh, for Ecuador, you've got uh, Juan Oxigeno Suizo. For England, you've got uh, Michael Jersey from a team I've never heard of before. You've got uh, for the USA, Steve Homebrewed Coldbrew. Uh, for Wales, you've got uh, Gareth Caresio. Uh, for for Iran, you've got uh, Ayatollah Watsoro. Uh, for Argentina, you have Juan Unbidon de Asietivasio. For Mexico, you have uh, Juan Drogas. For Poland, you have uh, Jan Skurzetekla. For, for Saudi Arabia, you have uh, Mohamed Midrib Cricket. For France, you have Jacques Calcachoz Aungu. Uh, Denmark, Christian and Radar Pistol. Uh, for Tunisia, Jacques Mahraba. For Australia, you have uh, Tim promotional material for Defunct Cause. For Spain, the wonderful player Juan Sino de Cisped Politico. For Germany, you're going to have Thomas Etvas Caput. For Japan, uh, you're going to have uh, Michael Kogashita Matsunomi. Uh, Costa Rica, Juan Antradas Urcanida. Uh, and we go to, to Belgium uh, with with Kevin instructor video over San Kayakan, Croatia's uh, Luka Imovene, Canada's uh, great, great player for Canada, Alfonso Untrompet, for, for Morocco, Mohamed Akis Molakima, for Brazil, João Umshepeo de Inverno, for Serbia, Luka Zanatska Sora, uh, for Switzerland, you've got Thomas Einmore Maluva, for Cameroon, Jacques Autocollant de Show de Convoy de la Liberté. For Portugal, João Carne de Veado. For Uruguay, uh, 
Juan el peor productor del mundo for South Korea, uh, Kim Segye Chogyui Jepum, and lastly, and maybe in this case, leastly, uh, it's going to be Tim, a massive picture of me. So those are the star men, the players that you want to be looking out for in this tournament. And then just to close the podcast out, I want to take you through my predictions, full predictions for this World Cup, because you've, you've heard what I thought of the groups, but I've also created a, a bracket here just to go through some of the, the key matches in the rest of this World Cup. Uh, and I think it starts with the, the round of 16. So just starting on my left side of the bracket, you've got uh, Netherlands, who's likely going to win their group, paired against the United States, who's going to come second, in my opinion. I think that's a fairly easy win for the Netherlands. I don't think that the Americans have the power to stop them in any any real way. And then the next match, next match would be uh, Argentina against Denmark, which would be a very interesting clash of uh, uppercomers in both Conman uh, Ball and UEFA. I don't think Denmark have the quality to stop Argentina. Argentina gets through. Then the next match, Spain and Croatia. Croatia aging. Spain, plenty of, of new talent, despite maybe aging a little bit as well. Spain is just going to overpower Croatia, in my opinion, get through fully. And then you've got uh, a battle of some colonial powers with Brazil facing off against Portugal. I think Brazil gets through because of just a a brilliant ability everywhere on that team. I don't think that Brazil is going to be really challenged by Portugal because of the lack of attacking ability. But Portugal, again, really built for a knockout tournament. We could see, I could see them beating Brazil. Moving to the right side of the bracket, we have uh, England playing Senegal. Uh, Senegal, I'm not quite as high on as many other people. Uh, just, yeah, um, Senegal maybe don't have the quality you're looking for to take down a team like England, even an England that I don't think is quite so strong, but an England team who can shut you down and play that knockout-style football have sort of gotten over a few of their penalty demons over the in that last Euro. So I think they have the capability to really pull off something. Uh, next match, France and Mexico. France, winners of their group. Mexico aging, maybe even lucky to draw such a poor group, in my opinion. I don't think Mexico will go beyond the round of 16 in this tournament, no matter how they play. And I don't think they have any chance of doing it if they draw a team like France, who is probably a very real- realistic draw for them. Uh, France advance, in my opinion. I don't think that's controversial. The next match, Belgium and Japan. Japan, I'm really high on as a team. I hate that they ran into Belgium. I think Japan could absolutely give Belgium a game here and maybe even pull off an upset. But Belgium, it just is a team of too high quality. I, I don't think that Japan has the, the horses to deal with a player like, like Kevin De Bruyne or Romelu Lukaku. It, it's that simple. Again, I'm not saying they couldn't do it here. It's not like France and Mexico where one team is so strongly favored. I just don't think that Japan could be favored in this game. I have to pick Belgium. And then you've got it... Uh, you know, Uruguay and uh, and Serbia. Serbia, a team much like Japan, I really like them. Uh, could they make a run at this World Cup? Could they be that underdog like Croatia last time? Yes. Yes, they could. There's a very realistic chance they, they may be. But I, 
I also really, really like like Uruguay because the the attacking threats they present. I think it's going to be too much for Serbia to deal with. This could be a very open game, two very attacking sides. Uh, if there's a game that I had to pick out of this round of 16 that might have the most drama, it would be this one. Because I could see, you know, Nunez and, and Mitrovic uh, exchanging goals. It, it, if this happens, please do do yourself a favor and watch this game because this this is going to be an excellent match. Moving back to the left side of the bracket, we have Netherlands who defeated the USA and Argentina who defeated Denmark now playing each other. Uh, the Netherlands, a solid team. I think they deserve to be in the top eight. Can they beat? Right, I've said it before. Argentina are my World Cup favorites. Netherlands probably won't get through them. Van Dijk isn't playing his best football. Their attacking options have aged out. Argentina are on their best form. I, I don't see how you can pick against Argentina. Next up, Spain and Brazil. A couple uh, real heavyweights going at it here. Spain, as I said, they are aging out a bit. And I don't think it could cost them against a team like Croatia. But it's definitely going to cost them against a team like Brazil. Because Brazil have so much talent, so much ability. I think Brazil are surely a team that you'd pick to get to the semifinals. And I think that they're going to end up on the same side of the bracket as, as Argentina as well. I think if you were a, a ticket buyer for maybe Argentina or Brazil, get that get that ticket right now for the, to the left side of the bracket, that semifinal matchup. I could. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. On the uh, right side of the bracket, you've got uh, a very interesting match here between England and France. Two teams who I'm not really high on at all. Uh, they just happened to get some easier draws in the in the round of 16. Uh, England playing Senegal and France playing Mexico. I mean, they're, they're still good footballing nations. I think England are better built to play a, a knockout matchup against a a French side that's maybe a little too open for my liking. Uh, this time around, I don't think France are going to be able to get by them. I would say this is probably a 60-40 match, and that 60% would go towards the English. I'm going to pick them to get through. And then the final final quarterfinal, Belgium and, and, and uh, Uruguay. Uh, I like Uruguay. I don't like Belgium quite as much. Belgium are old. This is getting to the point of the tournament where injuries could become a factor. I think Uruguay have the depth that Belgium don't, and it's this is where it's going to start to matter. I think Uruguay have the ability to get through Belgium and put three South American teams in the semifinals. Moving on to the semifinals, uh, an all-South American uh, semifinal. In my mind, really, the, the true final this World Cup. Argentina playing Brazil to the two teams who are absolutely favored at this tournament. So much talent on both sides. But after watching the Copa America, Argentina were the better team. After watching World Cup qualifying, Argentina were the better team. Argentina have hardware now. Leo Messi is probably in his last World Cup. Argentina are the team I favor here to get through. And it's not anything against Brazil. I'm just betting on history. 
and the other semifinal, England against against uh, Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay, I, I, I've raved about them a lot. I don't think they're on the level of some of the best teams in this tournament. I don't think they're on the level of a, you know, a, an England, Argentina, Brazil, or even even a Spain. I would say you could likely knock out knock out Uruguay. And I think England's defense is going to be too strong for them. I I have to favor England in this match. England advance. And then our final, Argentina against England. Argentina have every bit of the talent at the back that England do. And then they add on even more talent up front. I could see Leo Messi scoring a, a brilliant one in this final and getting his first and likely only World Cup. Argentina take the victory. That's this podcast prediction. Thank you so much for listening to this mini-series. If you liked it, leave a five-star review. Reach out, share the podcast. Helps us all. Thank you for listening. And if you happen to be tested on this, I hope you paid attention. Thank you.